Ron Ananian. Make sure you've got a relationship with that guy. Make sure you trust that person that's telling you, hey, you need breaks. And ask them casually, so I need breaks. What else do I need? The Car Doctor. For about two months, I, my uh, check engine light was coming on, would stay on for a little while, go off. It all of a sudden started flashing. And okay. once it did, the car started bucking and coughing. And Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, hello and welcome. Ronnie and the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. You know, Mikey, I... I don't know. I just, where was my mind right there? You know, it's, it's like, uh, yeah, it is Saturday and here you are, you're fixing cars. I thought I was standing at the counter. I was ready to greet the first guy walking in the door with a, with a check engine light on. I was like, holy cow. I kind of blanked out there for a minute. Anyway, um, I promise I am here. This is the car doctor. I, it was just a crazy week. You know, we, we had such a great week at the shop. I, um, I, I got to play with a new toy this week. I, I got to play with, now don't tell anybody, but this is the kind of stuff that really just, this is what turns the car doctor on. Has anybody seen the new can of PB Blaster? PB Blaster, the, the, the rust penetrant, this is exciting stuff, all right? They came out with the PB Blaster, I'm not kidding, has come out with what they call a smart straw, and it's an attachment onto their cans of penetrating oil, penetrating lubricant um, among them. That, you know, in this position, it's a straw. If you flick the straw down, it's a spray. And then there's a volume control on the back of it. Oh, my God. We had so much fun with that thing this week. Danny and I were fighting. We bought one can of it. We thought it was silly. Uh, you know, and we, we, but now we're fighting over it. Now i got to go buy more cans of it and use up the old stuff. Because the problem with, I mean, the little things that bother mechanics, right? The, the, the little things... Like, you know, those stupid red straws that fall out of the end of the aerosol can. And then, you know, who invented that? And then you've got to try and get that little red straw back in the nozzle wearing gloves, you know, and, and you know, rubber gloves, and it's dirty and it's grimy and it doesn't go. And then it ends up, you know, if we're banning straws for soda, we should be banning straws for aerosol cans. I think that's the next thing that, um, you know, we got to get together with. But you got to go out, go out to Blaster Corp, I think it is, or PB Blaster, BlasterCorp.com. Read about their pro straw. It's really kind of neat. Somebody really, really smart what they were thinking there. Like, wow. Um, anyway, wow, this is the car doctor. Look where we are. Um, we're here to fix cars. Let's do that. Let's go to Brian in Michigan, 07 Pontiac Grand Prix. We're going to start the war here today. Brian, welcome aboard. What's going on? Hi, Ron. How are you? Good, sir. What's cooking? Uh, okay, so I have the 2007 uh, Grand Prix with about 190,000 miles. I'm not getting much heat inside the cabin. And uh, my dad actually called you about three weeks ago, and you gave us some suggestions. And we've been able to narrow the problem down to the blend door inside the vent doesn't seem to be going to the correct position. Okay. And uh, I was able to get access to uh, a, you know, a Tech 2 scan tool. And so I went into the menus, and I was trying to command it. Uh, see if I could recalibrate it, get it to reset properly, and I can't actually find the blend door in the menu. So you're in body module. Right. Right, and then you're going under HVAC. That's right. And you should see two PIDs. Oh, seven? 
unless it's not supported, but it, it should be there. Um, you should see the ability to command the blend door and then look at temperature door position versus commanded door position. Right. And actually, I found it, it, it lists the mode door and the air inlet position. And so it has the commanded position and the actual position for those two, but I didn't see anything for the blend door. Well, did you say air inlet? Yes. Isn't air inlet another way of saying, and I'm just asking, and I've, I've learned to be flexible when it comes to the PIDs <laughs> and what they call, um, isn't air inlet, is that temperature? Well, I, there's also a recirculation door on that uh, system. You know, so it, it recirculates the air inside the cabin as opposed okay. to bringing in air from the outside. I think that's what they mean by the air inlet door is the recirculation door. Is this, was this a, an automatic temp vehicle, Brian, or a no, manual, it's, it's manual, manual temp? So if you look up in a wiring diagram for manual temp, do you see an actuator? Yes, there is an actuator, and I've actually replaced that actuator. And, and how many actuators are there, three? There are three, yes. All right. If you unplug the temp blend door actuator, will it set a fault code? No. It won't? I, I don't believe so. I haven't, um, I haven't done that specific test. I, I have pulled the HVAC fuse, and that does not set a code. Well... I don't trust pulling fuses setting codes because what part of the module did I take down? Right. So, and what I'm thinking about is, I, I, it's got to be there, Brian. It's just, it's just, it's got to be called something else. Okay. So what I'd, what I'd want to know is, can you get to the air inlet actuator? Um, uh, yes. And, and, and what I'm leading to is, if we unplug them and reconnect them one by one, Will we see a change on the scan tool, and does that identify what actuator they're referring to by that particular name? Right. Okay. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a good approach. All right. Because there's got to be a way to actuate that. You can command it, right? Do they give you a function to command it? Yes. If they give you a, command, a function to command it, I've never seen it not give you the ability to view it. They're they're saying hey command they're giving you now what do they call it do they what do they call the actuator do they call it temp blend door I in the menus it just says you know mode door commanded and mode door position and then it's the same thing for the air inlet okay but how do you get where in the menu and I know temp tech two is and this is the problem with factory scan tools they're just they'll make you nuts <laughs> um, you know. Where do you get to that position about commanding? Under special functions, under actuator test? Uh, I believe it was under special functions. Um, there was a menu that I could pull up where I could choose uh, either increase or decrease. And as I did that, you know, I could change the, the position. Of that particular component? Right. Okay. Then I would tell you, look very carefully, one, two. I would go through every list in every module. You know, GM does some really strange things. Do you know where tire pressure monitoring is kept on a GM vehicle? No, I don't. It, it's, it depends on the vehicle. Some of them are in the, are, are in the passenger door module. Some of, the, some of them are in the trunk remote receiver. Um, it's just, it's never where you think it's going to be. I've learned to just look in some of the most ridiculous places. Right. And it just uh, makes me think GM is just sometimes, as much as I love the company, they're just 
they're just, you know, they make no sense at times. Um, right. And, and then I, one other question that goes along with that, um, once I actually, the menus that I've been looking at, I can temporarily command the, the door to move to a certain position with the Tech 2. Is there some way where I can reset it or recalibrate it? Because I'm noticing like with the mode door, there's a discrepancy between the commanded position and the actual position. And How big of a discrepancy? About a thousand counts. So, um, like for example, the commanded was about 2,700, and the actual position was about 1,700. That's that's quite a discrepancy. Yeah. So yes, and there should be a calibration procedure in there. Number one, number two, and might might involve pulling the fuse. Believe it or not. Um, so read, you know, see what procedure you can find. If you can't, send me the VIN at Ron at CarDoctorShow dot com, and I'll do some research. All right, but but look at. For, look for calibration in the tech too, because if you put it through a calibration and it still doesn't calibrate, then there might be a physical mechanical limit that's preventing that door from moving. Right. So, do you want you to just take the door out? What could that involve? Do you want to know? <laughs> yeah. Removing mo the dash. And Removing the, the dash. Of the inside of the car. Right. Yeah, I know. That's why people. I love when people. Yeah, it's just a scan tool. Plug it in. It'll tell you what's wrong with it. Yeah, good. We take the dashboard out. We take. We split the HVAC case open on the 14-year-old obsolete car that we can't get parts for, and you know we 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 try and assemble this this piece. Right. Um, so one thing at a time, brother. Uh, you know, other than looking in. If you can get into some all data information and possibly look up and see what they refer to, maybe GM has left some information there, uh, you know, or it might behoove you to, if you can jump online and get into GM service information, buy a subscription for a couple of days and, you know, see what they offer as far as what they call their their abbreviations. But, right. I, you know, I, I can tell you, I can send you down that route. I don't know that that'll help you fix it. I think it'll get you more frustrated because you're trying to think like a GM GM engineer or GM tech in a short, limited space of time. And, you know, I think you're better off approaching it the way I described it as more generic. And, you know, how would you right. fix it if you didn't have access to information? Sometimes there's a better way. Yeah. Um, so, all right, try those things. Call me back. I want to fix this car. Let's see what's going on. All right, on. great. All right. Thank you very much for the advice. You're very welcome. Keep me posted. Um, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, there's so many acronyms and abbreviations and what does it mean and, uh, you know. You, you you go to bed at night keeping these things around in your head like you know like one eight four three six five seven two firing order of a small block Chevy like you just you know um, anyway let's pull over and take a pause eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero look I remember two sets of numbers in a sixty second time span so what's the doorknob Ronnie in the car doctor I'll be back right after this. Don't call us. That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. Hey, look at this. Feedback. This is from Dodge. I believe that in Maryland, WGMD. 92.7, he writes in um, feedback. I was hoping the tractor guy, this is we had an interview on last hour, I was hoping the tractor guy was going to touch on how farmers are hacking their tractors with Ukrainian firmware so they can do repairs without being shut out by the unauthorized repair message. The firmware is available on tractor sites, 99 bucks. Thanks, Dodge. Love the show. Um, you know, it's it just, you can do anything with software today. It's just, it's amazing what can be done. I, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, you can... It's the way of the future. Let's get over to Brian in Philadelphia. 
and the uh, 17 Ford Fusion. Brian, I'm going to come and get myself a cheesesteak. I have to come down. I think it's the Philly Penn Station, and there's a place in there that's ranked on diners, drive-ins, and dives. It's supposed to have the best Philly cheesesteak in the state. You know what? That's a good one. The, some of the most famous are not the best, but right. uh, yeah. that's a good one. So yeah. If you ever come down here, man, we'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to get a few of them. I'm telling you, it'll be. It's just I've, I've got to go get myself a Philly cheesesteak. It's been a lot of years, and I just – so what's going on today, brother? How can I help? Well, uh, two, uh, you said 2017 Ford Fusion. Um, I had back a few months ago, it was still warm out. I was away for a week, and the car wouldn't start. Battery totally drained. And I was figuring, you know, it wasn't cold. Um, no lights were left on. So uh, a guy came out, uh, the road service. He, you know, he charged it, and he said, hey, the battery's not in bad condition. And, you know, it started after that, and it was okay. And I was kind of curious. I've never had that problem, um, you know, after a week in warm weather where the car wouldn't start. Now, I've had um, two drains previously early on because of uh, – control modules but that's that was right you know, they were rectified so is this odd that if the car sat for a week it wouldn't start when the weather was mild depends on the driving habits i think before it sat for the week how far is the commute um i commute i, I commute about maybe it's like a 20 minute eight mile ride but i do a lot of stop and go i do a lot of short trips so that may be a factor could um, definitely could. You know, I think one of the things missing on cars today, and it has been for a long time, is a voltmeter. You know, battery state of charge. How much charge is in the battery? It's it's we we leave the dumbest things out of the dashboard, and we put in heated <laughs> cup holders and you know air conditioned heated seats and uh, you know it's it's and it all puts a strain on that battery. That poor under you know the battery is the Rodney Dangerfield of the electrical system. It just gets no respect it seems, and uh, yeah, it could. All right. Has it happened since? No, it's been it's been fine since. Even in cold weather, I mean, a couple of cold days crank right up. It's right. actually been fine. Right. It's been totally fine ever since. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I've I've had, I've had several drains. No, when, when the battery gets drained out, does that shorten the life or not necessarily? Well, you know, I don't think there's any substantial proof to say yes, it does. In my mind, it's just something to watch. If it happens on a continuous basis, uh, what drains? And let me let me let me rephrase that too, and let me restate that. If the battery is the is what's operating the vehicle, if the alternator dies, if the charging system has an issue where it's not charging voltage and maintaining the battery and you're running off the alternator versus the battery, yeah, that's, you know, you can't run a vehicle off a battery. You can, I, I think, once or twice. Again, it depends on the state of the condition of the battery. But running the vehicle on the battery, if the charging system failed, isn't great for the life of it. And once you charge it back up after the repair, you know, a, a load test, a real load test, not these, you know, namby-pamby, you know, perfume smelling you know, uh, analytical, mathematical, calculating battery load tester where the guy comes out in two minutes and goes, yeah, your battery's good, your battery's bad. The, the mathematical algorithm says this or that. You know, it's like a real carbon pile, you know, man crank and turn the knob, or, you know, smoke comes out of the back of the thing and the battery goes, or, or, or it works. It's one or the other. You know, that's a battery load test. Uh, you know, as long as it passes that, I'm good with it. Um, some of the simple things that people don't realize, and, and this could always be the case too, how a battery discharges, always look at the top of the battery. Is the top of the battery clean? Is it dry? You know, we see a lot of batteries that come in, you know, first time people coming into the shop, and I'll, I'll always have, 
you know, it's myself and Danny now. We'll just we'll we'll wash the battery. Um, we'll, we'll 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 you know a little warm water and just wash off the top of the battery, dry it off, and send out a good clean dry battery. That's part of the service because you know parasitic draw will happen. You can actually take a voltmeter on a on a wet battery top, put the one on the negative battery post, and put the positive, and just come across the top of the battery, and you'll read small voltage on that meter, and you know. That's a draw. That's 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 connectivity between the posts. And well, you, you know, my, my my older cars. I had a '95 Bonneville. The battery lasted six years. Um, I had a '05 Ford Taurus. That battery lasted over five years. My last car, 2012 Nissan, that went about three years. And um, somebody had told me, I don't know if it's accurate. There's more electronic demand on cars now with yes. all the power seats and Absolute. heated oh, seats I, oh, and all I, that. I, Absolutely. You know, one of the reasons why the industry is going to AGM batteries and, you know, absolute glass mat and their ability to maintain good, correct charge and uh, the AGM, the whole AGM battery thing is there because of the way they charge, they maintain charge. Um, you know, companies like Clarios and the way they're bringing battery technology to market uh, for everybody. Um, you know, where's the, what's the YouTube channel? Batteryshop.com, I think it is. Uh, you can go right. to BatteryShop.com and read all about the, the changes in batteries and what's going on because it's just, you know, we could talk for the next three months just about battery technology and where it's where it's going to take us. And, you know, demands that the batteries have, have upon them in terms of, uh, you know, running everything we've got electrical. You ever notice, you ever, have you driven a late model, well, I, I think Fords do it too, but I know GMs do it. You'll drive a late model GM vehicle and you start it up, you know, do this. Turn the key on. Don't start it. And look at battery on the voltmeter, if they have a voltmeter on the vehicle. It has to be a truck, usually. It'll read just a little over 12 volts, right? You start it up, drive the truck, and it reads a little over 12 volts, and you're like, gee, there's a charging system problem. No. They're looking at battery state of charge, among other things, and they're deciding whether or not they want to turn the alternator on to full capacity, any capacity, to charge the battery and run the system because everything's in the terms of uh, emissions and, and fuel economy and so forth. So we've got so much strain on that battery, it's, it's under more pressure than most of us during the course of the workday. Brother, you take care, Brian. Next time we'll get together, we'll get down in Philly and have a cheesesteak. I'm Ron Indian Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Back. We're on the end of the car, Doctor. Real quick. I'm going to do this real quick and get started on it. Hunter writes in, Ron, I discovered your show. I've been listening to all the podcasts and attempt to get caught up to the live show. I'm nearly through 2016. I just listened to an episode where you talked about the questionable quality of Chinese products, especially compared to OEM branded parts and wanted to weigh in. I currently work in the auto industry for an OEM partner. I've come to appreciate the amount of quality control that goes into OEM brand parts. You mentioned that aftermarket parts are likely made in a separate facility from the name brands, and I think that's just as likely as not. Prior to this current job, I worked for companies that documented the trials and tribulations of product development for all sorts of companies across many industries, most often companies that tried to have their products remanufactured or manufactured in China. We run into problems at nearly every turn and would eventually find the same products more reliable and for just as much money or more by bringing production back to the United States. If they brought their product to China, they would notice that a very similar product to theirs would start being manufactured in a nearby facility a week or two months later. You know, that's got to be a problem, right? Like you, you, you bring this water pump housing for the next GM truck to China and say, here, make this, and all of a sudden, you know, somebody sneaks the blueprint out the back door. Like I always say, go sue China. Where do you start, Right. The Chinese facilities would also try to cut costs, offering to make an inferior product for much less money, make that inferior product, and provide fake certifications. 
such as saying something is formaldehyde-free when it wasn't or passed a test drive that it couldn't or slightly more money and manufacture the product is designed for a premium price. Hey, you ever stop to think about the Chinese are always trying to cut costs? What does that say about Chinese restaurants? i got to think about that. Maybe they're not safe to eat at. The only way these companies could guarantee that the products they were ordering from the Chinese plants met their requirements was if they sent a quality manager from the United States to oversee production. If they tried to bring the manager back home a few months later, product quality would immediately drop. To make a long story short, I think the difference between OEM and aftermarket parts can be one of many factors, even though both OEM and aftermarket parts might be made in China. The OEMs probably have a more rigorous quality control requirement. You know, Hunter, I agree, and I believe... That's what I was saying in my conversation. The point is, I think there's, well, and I, I was saying something a little bit different but similar. I think the aftermarket companies producing parts in China or wherever they're producing them are made at a different standard to a degree, some of them, not all of them, to a degree versus the OEM. To me, from my level, this is the, this is the limiting factor on what determines this. And I believe it's that when you buy an OEM part from a manufacturer, and you put it on a vehicle. If you're a dealer technician, if that part goes bad, that dealer technician is getting paid warranty time to repair it under warranty. If that part goes bad in an independent repair shop, and it's a part you purchased from Chrysler, Chrysler's not paying me any warranty. If it's 10 hours to do those cylinder heads, that's 10 hours out of my, my pocket as an independent repair shop. So those parts have to really work. I like buying an OE part in certain applications over an aftermarket part, not always, but certain parts, because on the job that has a higher risk factor and a higher rate of failure, yeah, I don't want to have to do that job twice. I'm going to buy an OE part, regardless of where it's made. But I'm just saying, if they're made in China, I bet you most times that OE part will outlast that aftermarket part because the quality control, as Hunter points out, covers it and they uh, they're more strenuous about it so hunter i love the thoughts and uh you know keep them coming let's get over and talk to ryan in jersey a 24 t bucket okay ryan what motor's in this uh it's a 350 all right and what's going on with the transmission well it's been running perfect uh i was taking my wife out to the grocery store uh the one morning here recently and as i went down the road i said boy it feels like this thing's not putting out pressure and so when i got up to the red light Sure enough, I lost all all gears, and I ended up uh, revving the engine, and I got it in gear, got it back home. Okay. So I said, maybe the, maybe the transmission fluid's low. I knew it wasn't, so I added about a half, three-quarters of a quart, and no change. So I pulled the pressure port on it, and... You, you pulled the, the pressure what? The pressure port to see uh, how much pressure Oh, okay, was, gotcha, gotcha, it, okay. yeah. And so uh, it was basically just spitting out, not getting anything. So I was able to get a copy of uh, Hydromatic's uh, troubleshooting manual. So after putting a new filter in it and <clears throat> checking the up tube, I uh, put a double O-ring on it just to make sure there was a good seal. Right. Um, no change. No change. So I pulled the motor off to get into the pump, figuring maybe the pump's imploded. Uh, but the fluid was clear. And long story short... The uh, pressure regulator, everything looked fine, moved free. The pump was in good shape, you know, no signs of wear. So I'm, I put a new uh, torque converter in it at the same time. So after all that, putting it back together, I'm still in the same spot. No, no, no metal anywhere in any of the fluid. The fluid all looks good. Yes. So correct. we, you know, we can assume something didn't, nothing, nothing came apart 
and the mm-hmm. pump looked good. Dr- drive gear, driven gear, no no grooves in the housing. The the ears not broken. Yeah, I checked all that. Everything looked good to me. And a different filter. Yes. Right. Yep. Put a quality um, filter in. Mm-hmm. Um. It's got it's a stupid answer, but it's 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 in the tra- it's in the trans somewhere. We've just got to yeah. find out where where did it get lost? Um, because even if even if and I don't think there's a bypass on a four hundred. Even if something was stuck open, it would build some kind of pressure for it to lose pressure altogether. It's almost like it lost prime. Um, uh, if you well, you're gonna have to pull the trans out of the car and start air checking. You know, pull the valve body down. And start air checking and seeing, do we have an open passage somewhere? Is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, I think that's your next step. But it'll be interesting because you've done you've done everything right, kid. Um, kiddo. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. If I can get it up to about 2,600 RPM, and you know, I was doing a power break when I first got it back to the house, and you know, it, it, when I went up to 2,600, it was enough to throw some fluid somewhere because uh, you know, it threw the car across the driveway so right then Um, after that i couldn't get to do it again and for lack of a stupid way to say it the drive shaft's definitely not turning right um yeah yeah just you know and this is just a straight small block 400 drive shaft rear end Mm -hmm. right nothing weird simple as simple as you can get um yeah then do you have another you don't have another pump to throw in there do you I didn't want to get into changing parts, but um, at that point, if that was a recommendation, you know, they're, no, they're not that expensive. I would uh, put one in then. Yeah, you know, not if you don't have it. I mean, listen, you've got to take it apart. You're obligated to take it apart. Mm-hmm. We're looking for something stuck open, but what, I don't know. Um, okay. There was a way, and I'm trying to remember it. It's been a little while since I've seen my last Turbo 400, but there was a way to bench test pump pressure on the bench. Um, see if the hydromatic manual talks about that, because okay. I, I remember I remember specifically there was a way to push fluid through it, spin the housing, and check to verify did it have proper draw. Um, there's a way to do it. It's in the manual somewhere. Um, okay. Uh, just it's been a while. It's you know Turbo 400 last save uh, 1975. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, time goes by. Um, let me know what you find. I'm curious. All right, we'll do. Right, keep me posted. Keep driving that hot rod, even though it's January. I love that. Um, oh, as long as it's over forty, I'll drive it. Yeah, cool beans. All right, where? Oh, All right, what what part? Hey, Ryan, what part of Jersey? Uh, it's uh, Mount Ephraim. Uh, it's, it's uh like exit three on the Jersey Turnpike. Okay. All right, so you're South Jersey. Yeah. yeah I'm in the I'm in the parts industry, so uh, maybe uh, I'll stop by there someday. And yeah. See you. you know, yeah, one cruise night or something, we go up to Wyckoff. Um, you there can you, take, go. you can take a long ride, so. Yes, it would be. All right, kiddo. You, you take right, good thank care. You. Let me know what happens. Yes, sir. Um, I'll have to think about that. Lost prime pressure. That's got to be a pump because there's really nothing else there because it's direct right through the trans down to the valve body through the pickup tube. Um, it's got to be. And unless the ear, well, he's, and he had the converter out. I want to hear that. I'd like to. I'd like to take that apart. Let's go. Let's go down to exit three and take it apart, Mikey. You and me. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back right after this. She's real fine, my four oh nine. 
She's real Welcome fine. back. Ron and the Car Doctor. Ryan, if you're still out there listening, buddy, um, I'm just thinking, you said you changed the filter. Did you cut the old filter open? I'm betting you did. But I'd cut the old filter open. Is there any signs of metal in there? Because I'm thinking about it. The pressure port's a direct feed off the filter circuit, and it doesn't. Even, you're not even into the governor at that point. So if the governor had an issue, the car should still have pressure. So this is basically, let's start with why doesn't the pump pump and uh, work your way out. Call me back. I bet you it's in the relief. I think there's a relief or a check valve in the pump that would stick. That's what I trying to remember from 40 years ago it wasn't yesterday um where am i oh we're going to the rock band let's go uh, talk to dino in new hampshire where is desi and billy nobody will get that joke dino how are you what's going on good how are you on good sir what are we working on i'm working on i decided to take my uh my 67 g2 out of the garage after about 12 years uh so uh, first of all i had to i had to pull all the brakes off it i mean it was like a bad dream i had to replaced everything right but the thing actually turned over and started i took it out and i took it back home and i said well i'll make it look nice so i took off the the tri-power and i sandblasted it and i put it all back together took it for a ride and i came came back and of course it it always used to start hard once it get warm it's been a problem forever so i bought a high torque starter put that in and then it wouldn't start no matter what i did this thing would not start so it looked like it wasn't getting a lot of gas. I didn't drain the, the carb, the center carb, which is the only one I, I actually use as a center carb. Right. And um, had professionally built, and then I'm not getting any slack. So I replaced the, uh, the, the coil, uh, all, the, all the electric on it, which isn't much. And now I can sit it in the garage, and I can crank and crank and crank, and eventually I can get it started by playing with a choke or whatever. It doesn't run too bad, but when I turn that thing off, it will not restart. Okay. Absolutely will not restart. I can close the choke, open the choke, put ether in. It will not restart. So, you know, basics are basics. Okay, Dino? I, I don't care if it's at 12 years or two weeks. Let's, let's, let's cover the basics. We're going to make one assumption here, which is dangerous. Okay, we're, we're going to assume mechanically the engine is sound. You with me? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's, you know... Do I have sticky rings? Do I have carbon on the valves? Blah, 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 blah. I could talk for 20 minutes on that. So let's let's make that assumption that we're dealing with a fuel or a spark issue. All right? Um, and, I, I mean, i got to walk you through the basics. You have a voltmeter? You have a test light? What do we have for yeah. test? Yeah. So let's let's go right to the coil. Put, put, put a voltmeter or a test light on the positive side. While you're cranking, does it maintain 12 volts to the coil? Yes. Okay. It does. You've done that. I've done that. Okay. If you go to the negative side of the coil, does it, and test light's good for this, does it blink? Test light blinks. Okay. Pull a spark plug wire off at a plug, all right, and put a spark tester in there. I want a spark tester. I don't want a screwdriver. Set it to 35, 40 thousandths gap. Does it jump the gap of the spark tester? When you say a spark tester, I don't have a... Uh, spark test. I, I will say this, that when I, when I first had this problem, I couldn't get a spark and I couldn't figure it out. Then I replaced, I replaced everything. Then I could get a spark to the coil. I mean, to the cap. So now I'm getting a spark to the plugs, but it's not a nice spark. You know, it's, it's, right. it's a weak, right. with, with, with that. Yeah. So we it's not a nice right. spark. That's what, so you, you got, you got a local auto parts store? 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Run down. Okay, it's still Saturday. Run down to this afternoon. Tell them you want um, a spark tester. A spark tester is, because think of it like this, a spark plug in a cylinder under 150 or 200 pounds of compression, it's it's a lot harder to push spark out across that gap of the plug than it is taking a plug, laying it out in an atmosphere, cranking the engine over and going, yeah, look, the plug sparks. All right? Okay. So a spark yeah. tester will stress the ignition system and replicate the same thing as what's in the cylinder. So what I want you to do is get a spark tester, test the ignition system that way. Now, you can do the same thing with the coil. Take the coil wire out, put it to the spark tester, the other end of the ground. Will it jump across the gap of the plug? Coil's good. Then move through the wires. Does it jump through the wire? Yes or no? At that point, spark is good. Let's focus on fuel. All right? Let's focus on it. Is it flooding? Are one of the are, are one of the other carburetors? I don't know they have this wired, but are one of the other carburetors dripping fuel? Is it wet? Pull the plugs when it doesn't start. Are the plugs wet? Do they smell like fuel? Will the end of the plug light with a match? You know, because there's so much fuel on it. So cover the basics. Pretend it's a lawnmower. How would you diagnose it? It doesn't have eight cylinders. It's got one, one ignition system and one fuel source. Work your way out from there. Call me back. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'll be back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go to Kevin, Delaware. Kevin, I got a minute and a half, 11 Chevy pickup. We're looking for a new vehicle. What's on your mind, babe? Well, first of all, uh, thanks for taking the call. I have a 4.8 in that Chevy and uh, 140,000 miles on it. I just put some work into it from the shop, and uh, they took the plugs out and said, these plugs look pretty good. I don't know why you're changing them. And I said, well, they had 140,000 miles on it. I said, well, I put paramins in there, and they said, well, they look pretty good. So a little plug for your commercial. Oh, there you go. But, uh, they don't make the uh, 4.8 anymore, and I'm looking to buy an SUV, so I'm going to have to go down to a 6. What do you recommend? Um, reliable. W- as far as what, a Chevy pickup? What do you want, a 1500? No, I, I, no, I don't want a pickup. I want an SUV. So I'm, I'm looking at like the Acadia Traverse, something bigger. Something like, I want a 6 because I put miles on, but uh, I'm looking for something super reliable. Um, I still like – fa- you know, I'm not a fan of the Acadia yet. I, I just they're just they're just tough to work on and you know there's they're okay but if if I have a choice you know I'd still I'd still prefer a rear wheel drive SUV. Uh, just, well, me too. You know, okay, it's recommend something. So I'm trying to think of what's out there in the Chevy line. They're still making a Tahoe, right? Yeah, that's a little bigger. Yep. Okay, um, bigger sometimes better, uh, especially when you're if you're out on the road, you're traveling a lot. Okay. You know, I like I like the size. You know, nothing nothing says safety like mass and protection when you're dueling with an 18-wheeler coming down the turnpike in a snowstorm. So um, I like I like the Trailblazer. If they I don't think they make Trailblazers anymore. I'm dating myself. But the Tahoes, um, what was it? Not the Yukon. They're way too big. Um, the GM rear-wheel drives, Kevin. I'm going to leave it there. The GM rear-wheel drives. If we're going to talk GM. Uh, I like that classification. You can drive the front-wheel drives. Not my top-of-the-line first choice, but uh, they're okay. I'm Ron Anady in the Car Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.